Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. Welcome back. Hour number two. If you weren't with us before, don't welcome back. Just welcome. Glad to have you along. It's 2Tell New One is 1029 ESPN Radio. If you missed anything in the first hour of the show, check it out on the podcast. The 2 Tell and the One is podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, listen, check it out. You can also, uh, of course, get the Grizz Greats podcast series as well. The uh, silver anniversary of the 1995 National Championship football team. Great series that we're excited about. We'll have another one episode for you this week. Uh, Want to just give you a quick update right now. Oh, by the way, the podcast brought to you. My friends at Blackfoot Communications. Uh, top of the ninth inning of the ALCS. The Rays won 2-1 last night. Great game. Enjoyed it uh, immensely. And they are up now in the top of the ninth inning 4-1 to over Houston. So three outs away are the Rays from being up 2-0 in this series over the Astros. Later on, the Atlanta Braves and L.A. Dodgers. First pitch at 6 o'clock. We will have that for you right here on ESPN Radio. Uh, Going to bring you absolutely a- as much of the MLB postseason as we possibly can, including, of course, uh, the uh, the World Series. But uh, we're looking forward to this game tonight. Get the Dodgers and Braves series going. The Braves are a really fun, exciting young team, and obviously the Dodgers pretty much the consensus best team in baseball. I do think it would be, I mean, what a thing, right, if the Astros – and the Dodgers played each other in the World Series. Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, that would be a... I mean, you, you'd, have to, you'd have to bring in just security guards and everything for that. I mean, come on. I'll tell you what. Baseball players, you know, they don't get all the, the you know, 
the love speaking, you know, and talk talk about athleticism and everything like that of 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 you know, obviously football players, basketball players. I I don't I don't I wouldn't want to go out there and try and separate a bunch of professional baseball players. From oh, are you another. kidding me? That's some real way better fighters than the other two sports you just and, named. And and, and, and maybe and, not some of the NFL guys, but by and large, they're better fighters. You know, Here's the thing about baseball players: they're not NFL and NBA players by and large are freakishly large. So no one would ever try to fight them. Who's going to try to fight like LeBron James? It's not happening. Whereas baseball players are just normal sized. Well, actually, now see, I'm going to take I'm going to take issue with you on that. Some of them are sure. I think there's a lot more normal sized guys. The NFL is the one where the, it runs the gamut. But I think there's a lot more normal sized guys in the in the NFL. Yeah. Than there are in Major League Baseball. I think Major League Baseball. If you saw like an MLB baseball team, you'd go like. Man, do you remember when we went down? It was the Osprey at the time. We shook the Os, you know, they do the meet and greet with the media. And I just go, what? Hey, this is 18-year-old kids walking around. Not one of them under 6'3". Not one of them less than 220. I mean, that's a little exaggeration, of course. But this is, a, I was just like, giants. These are the prospects. Just a bunch of just, just dudes. Now, yeah, it's not seven-footers, right? Okay, it's not a basketball team. But you're talking about some real Paul Bunyans up there playing baseball. No question. Uh, if you want to call, 361-3688 is the phone number. All guests join us via the Rankage Brothers RV phone line if you would like to listen live. Do so on the stream, on the website, via the World Wide Web, 1029ESPN.com. You get in there and uh, you listen all the time, anytime you'd like to. Thanks to Opportunity Bank of Montana. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Coulter? What's, one sec before we get into this okay. Bobcat thing, just because I think we need to acknowledge it, just because I think that... Uh, Oftentimes, the guys that achieve the highest level of, of I'm not going to say fame, but recognition, okay, make some household names, are guys that were great athletes that then transitioned into being great commentators. Mm. You were talking about Joe Morgan. Joe, Joe. Morgan passed, passed away uh, earlier, earlier today. today yeah. And uh, anybody that's old enough to remember him, he's one of the greatest second basemen of all time, one of the great cogs on the great red, big red machine mm-hmm. of the 1970s. But I think, by and large, most people that are uh, probably listening to the show remember him more for his time in the commentator booth. I mean, he's mm-hmm. always on Sunday Night Baseball. He was the epitome of the color commentator. I mean, he's so good, so smooth, so makes it so interesting. Joe Morgan was amazing. But I think it's worth mentioning him because this continues an unbelievable string of Hall of Fame baseball players that have passed away this year. I mean, Lou Brock, we've acknowledged that on the show, Tom Seaver. Also, Al Kaline, Whitey Ford died last week. Um, Bob Gibson a couple weeks ago. So it's been a, an unbelievable couple months in terms of the losses of the legends mm-hmm. of the game. I mean, some of the greatest players there. I mean, I think there's a little over 200 guys in that Hall of Fame. So to lose seven of them in the span of one calendar year, that's a significant percentage. And uh, definitely, I think that it's it's. I think when Hall of Fame baseball players like this die, it for right now, it, it is so impactful because it shows mortality to so many people in our lives that are like around your dad's age. You know what I mean? Because they think, man, I, I worshiped that guy growing up. Because the, these guys that were famous in the 60s and 70s, this was when baseball was absolutely king. So mm-hmm. they were the heroes of the day. And I think it just, it, it, it's an eye opener for people. I think they feel it so much because they're like, man, I remember watching the big red machine. How is Joe Morgan dead? Yeah. Well, Joe Morgan, 77 years old, and as you said, passed away today. And yeah, he is uh, he is unequivocally the the figure, the person 
who brought me the most into baseball of anybody. It wasn't a player that I loved. It wasn't a team that I loved, though I'm a you know a Cubs fan and have been. It was listening to Joe Morgan call games on Sunday night and uh, and being sort of enraptured by what he did. I know it's very sort of in vogue now for people within the sports media to be you know sort of effervescent at the you know at the about the the defeats and the wonders of others in the profession and how great and wonderful they are and that's fun like it's good to be nice and all that kind of stuff but uh you know prior to me ever being in the seat that i'm in now it was joe morgan where i went wow this this is what it could be i mean baseball is the from a from a sports broadcasting standpoint it is the medium of narration right i mean it is the storyteller's sport and you sort of weave the game in in and to through whatever the story is that you're trying to tell as you do it and you know obviously vin scully is out you know is 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 the guy for many many people and that's all well and good but for me having exposure on a national level it was joe morgan he's a guy who who was just so different from everybody else that i'd ever heard and uh and i loved him man from from that standpoint and i don't i don't know him as a base i know how yeah i know he's a great baseball player i know he's a hall of famer big red machine all that but i don't know him as a player you know i didn't watch him play i watched him broadcast i listened to him and it was he's the guy who for whatever i am as a baseball fan which which is a, I, I would say a medium level baseball fan. I don't know how to put a, a you know a six out of ten baseball fan compared to real baseball nerds. You know what I mean? Like baseball is the nerdiest of all fans, right? Like if you really want to get into, it, and I mean that with all respect and love, but like if you get into baseball, you're just like. You're just tweaking out on stats and numbers and history and the whole thing and just losing your mind, you know? And that's great. That's super fun. I'm not that guy. But I do like the game. I enjoy the game. And he probably had the most to do with it, at least in my childhood, of, of anybody. So uh, I do think very, very fondly of Joe Morgan today. Coulter, uh, they played some football over the weekend at Bobcat Stadium. It was blue versus white. This means absolutely nothing to anybody. I'm not sure that it means anybody that the kids have played in the game. They did have a draft. I think that was meaningful because now you get to say, well, well wait, wait. You're drafting him over me. What's going on here? And I think you get to have a little, a little bit of fun, but also maybe add a little bit of fire to it. But a low-scoring 14-7 game, as we mentioned, there were four turnovers in the scrimmage for whatever it's worth. All of that is utterly inconsequential and unimportant to me. What I'm interested in is, you know, who looked good, what 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 went on with the quarterbacks, how did that go? Now you watched the game, but what I want to do first is just play for you. Some sound from Coach Choate. Hear what he had to say, both in terms of his opening remarks, some comments about the quarterbacks. We'll also hear from Jahari Martin and Ty Okada. And then you can tell us, kind of based on that foundational stuff, you know, what your takeaways were from this from this scrimmage, which was, what I do give it credit for is this, it was effectively a, a real football game. I mean, it was live football played with, you know, going up and down the field, attempting to score. There's, you know, it's real tackles, real hits, everything. The only thing that wasn't totally the same was, you know, some of the clock stuff uh, without, you know, no delay a game and that kind of thing because they hadn't had an opportunity to really work on it. But it wasn't, it was a real game. It wasn't just, okay, we're going to do start at the 25-yard line stuff. So that is good and and I think, uh, you know, showed a couple of things. So here is Coach Choate and just his sort of opening remarks about the game afterwards. I thought it was kind of what I expected. Very, uh, very well drafted. I thought it was very balanced, obviously. Uh, very interesting seeing kind of the balance and how it played off, 
out. I thought our you know defenses are obviously ahead of the offense a little bit, especially when you don't have the starting five offensive linemen working and you don't have um, kind of consistency at some of the skill positions. And I think that showed up a little bit, but I thought both teams completed well, um, made some plays. I was impressed with our tackling. I thought our tackling was actually pretty good. I really would have thought there would have been some more explosive plays, um, but for the most part, tackling was efficient and uh, the competition was really good. I mean, it probably, you know, is not going to, I, didn't, I don't think we set football back 100 years today. Not exactly, you know, what you're looking for, but I think it was awesome. The energy was great. Um, our kids were, were excited to be out there and play and uh, came right down to the wire. You know, just a little Bobcat football. You got to stick around to the fourth quarter. So there you go. Jeff Show talking about the game. Again, the, 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 the very end of the game ended with Jahari Martin scoring a touchdown and then, uh, you know, the other team going the other direction and getting down to about the goal line inside or about the five yard line. And then there was an interception that effectively ended it. So that's, you know, from a competitive standpoint, it was competitive. And, it, you know, there's, a, you know, an interesting game in that respect. What, what everybody wants to know is about the quarterbacks. Where are we at with the quarterbacks in the room? So Jeff Chet was asked that question just in general. What did you take away from your quarterbacks overall? Yeah, I knew it was going to be a little bit weird. You know, you could tell we had Casey and, and Matt with the one team. And then the, the third quarterback, Blake Thielen, he made end up having the best day passing. And that's just kind of – wind actually became a pretty big factor in our passing game. And it's, I think there were some situations, especially with Tucker going deep to Jaden, where the wind altered the ball enough that we weren't able to make plays on it. But I thought those guys, you know, the turnovers are things that we've got to coach out of the game. And those the two turnovers for the, uh, for the blue team – uh, were very impactful, specifically the one that was in the red zone that Danny had the interception on. And so never going to be happy with that. Uh, I kind of talked about the game operation, which is not working against the clock, and we need to get plays in and out a little quicker and help those guys out there. Uh, we didn't really operate a lot of uh, up-tempo stuff, and uh, that's always something that helps an offense to get into a little bit more rhythm, and that was by design because, we were, as I mentioned earlier, we've been a little de- depleted on the D-front. But, uh, you know, got to watch the film and uh, go through their reads and make sure that, you know, they were making good decisions. But I, we've got three quarterbacks that have won a lot of Division One football games, and that's a pretty good luxury to have. And in this day and age, it's hard to keep all those guys happy. And so um, good news is we don't have to make any decisions about who's starting tomorrow because we don't have a game next week. That's the bad news. Just so we're clear, the good news is not making the decision. The bad news is not having to make a decision. Uh, so there you go, Jeff Choate on the quarterbacks. Then – one particular member of the media asked him a question about one particular quarterback. Coach, I want to ask you specifically about Casey Bob, and he's the last quarterback to get his turn, but then when he did, he came in, I think he completed three out of four passes, moved the ball, so what would you think of his uh, ability yeah. to respond there? I mean, Casey's had a really good fall camp. Um, it's a it's a very interesting quarterback battle. You can see the skill set, the kind of the different skill sets. I think Casey has a really good command of the huddle. I think he showed toughness today, took some shots, hung in there, made some plays for us and has consistently been a guy that's moved our offense throughout the, the course of fall camp. And so, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to be interesting when we get to having to play for real and we've got to make some decisions. There's going to be some, um, you know, some really tough conversations about what's going to be best for our team overall. But, I, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. If you'd have told me, like, like Tucker Rovick, all he does is win, right? You know, I think – I don't know what he is at home. I think he's only lost one game at home in his career. And, uh, you, you know – I mean, honestly, if you said, hey, I, you can't play these two quarterbacks today, you only get this one, I'd be like, that's fine. We can win. And so um, I think that's a pretty good luxury to have. Um, but clearly we're looking for that guy that can take that next step and be a guy that when we have, if we have to go into Fargo 
you know, is going to be able to operate when they pack the box and take a run game away, or we've got some matchups that are favorable for us on the perimeter that we can take advantage of. There's one thing to me that's so very obvious in the front of the psyche of Jeff Choate. Okay. <laughs> the North Dakota State Bison. Oh, man. Of course. Well, it should be. But I'm just saying, like, he references that, like, what do we need to do to beat this going back even this week, saying, well, we haven't traveled very well, so we have to be good enough to force North Dakota State to come to Bozeman. Yep. You know? Uh, that's one part of it. The other part of it is, okay, what quarterback is best? That's fine. But what quarterback is going to allow us to win this football game, to beat yep. this team? And you know what? If you're good enough, that's the way you probably should think about it because all the other games are just leading up to that, right? That's what it feels like. All the other games yep. are leading up to the time where you have to, at some point, break the door down. And uh, so far, you've only broken against the door. So I think that's uh, one interesting way to assess assess that, assess the quarterbacks. What do you think? Oh, man, I have so much to say Shocking. about all of this. But what did you think of the quarterback? First and foremost, I love that Jeff Cho compares Montana State to North Dakota State. I love that that's his barometer. Yeah. But the thing that needs to be remembered, though, is that the Bobcats had a great year last year. They also had the first time in the Jeff Choate era where they actually had the favorable schedule. Who knows what Montana State's record would have been in 2017 and 2018 if they wouldn't have played what was the hardest schedule yeah. in the Big Sky Conference. They went 5-6, and six, and then they went 7-4, and four, made the playoffs. But that's with playing the Weaver States and Eastern Washingtons of the world. Choate still has never beat Jay Hill. He hasn't played him in a couple years, but he hasn't beat him at Weaver State. He still hasn't beat Aaron Best. He hasn't played him since the year that Eastern Washington went to the National Championship game. Still has beat him, though. So it's great to be able to say that you're, you've are you put yourselves as the favorites amongst most of the rest of the big sky. You went to UC Davis and got a win. That's a huge deal for Montana State as a program. You no longer have to worry about stubbing your toe against the Southern Utahs of the world. You just roll up 42 points in the first half and cruise. You, know, you go to Greeley and destroy Northern Colorado. That's what you need to be as a program. But beating the Grizzlies is just one thing. Beating Austin P on your home field, okay, but you still haven't beat Troy Taylor, you still haven't beat Arabes, you still haven't beat Jay Hill. So they still have some work to do before they're truly in that conversation with North Dakota State. But everybody else has a lot of work to do as well. In terms of the quarterbacks and the offensive execution and evaluating that whole element of this scrimmage, it's truly impossible to evaluate Montana State offensively ever, except for in live situations. Mm. Because they have at the same time, showed the greatest creativity in the league the last couple of years in terms of the variety of formations, pre-snap motions, playmakers that they get the ball personnel, to, personnel. Yeah, personnel. Right. That part's really fun to watch. In terms of being able to put together like a systematic two-minute drill where the quarterback knows what he's doing, who he's throwing it to, you're whipping the ball around, you're moving the chains. Actually, I thought Matt McKay's possession in the last possession of this scrimmage was the first time they've done that under Jeff Choate. Mm. Because you want to know why it's impossible to evaluate their offense. Because if it really comes down to it, if it comes down to you're down 24 points to Northern Arizona in the third quarter at home, you can just say, screw it, and scrap the whole thing and run the exact same play. And because Jeff Choate is so good at coaching fundamentals, because their coaching staff in general, they've, they're so good at coaching fundamentals, they can rise their level of physicality when it needs to be risen more than any other team in the league besides maybe Weaver State, and they could just flat knock you off the ball. You were in tennis in the Northern Arizona game last year. Yep. They didn't throw the ball to come back from a three-score deficit, and they won the game going away. They just ran zone read with Travis Johnson with a different running back next to him 
over and over and over and over again. And that's why it's so hard to evaluate their offense because when it really does go in the toilet bowl, they really can't just say, you know what, let's line up. We're going to give the ball to Isaiah Fonse. We're going to give the ball to whatever running back we got and stop us. We dare you to stop us. They can until they can Exactly. Right? Until they exactly. play in North Dakota State. And exactly. that's why you've got down, to find exactly. somebody. Because when you're down 30 by 7 in Fargo, if you revert to that game plan, you're losing 70 See to ya. 7. See ya. See ya. So, uh, as far as the quarterbacks, though, I thought that um, Matt McKay... Matt McKay should be better than the rest of the quarterbacks. He should be the starter. Will the coaching staff allow that to happen? Now that we're fully into this thing, it's my opinion that the quarterback personnel has been the secondary issue with Montana State. It's been the lack of continuity in offensive play callers and play calling that's really hindered the development of the position as a whole. When you have five different play callers in four years, that's not great for the kids. When you really do throw the playbook out the window and say, hey, we're going to run inside zone and gap scheme. It's great for the morale of your locker room to p- prove that you can do that. It's not great for the execution of your team and getting better offensively. Mm-hmm. And that's really been the story of the last three years. And again, it's a double-edged sword because you have to give the coaching staff so much credit for when it's not going right and the, the game plan's not working to be able to just light it on fire and say, okay, we're going to do what we do best, and they've won more often than not doing that. That said, though, it's not the way to reach the ultimate mountaintop. It's not the way to win an outright Big Sky title, and it's not a way to win a national championship, but it's just all about where your expectations are. They've raised their expectations now. So now it comes down to where do, what do they get out of Matt McKay if he's the guy? The thing about Tucker Rovick, Choate was really go- stepping up to the plate for his quarterbacks there, and I like that, that he does that. But when he talks about the, they have three quarterbacks on their roster, one Division One games, well, the two guys from last year, Casey Bobbin and Tucker Rovig, those guys were a cog of a machine. Tucker Rovig became a very efficient cog. All he was asked to do down the stretch was to hit two deep throws a game. That's it. And that's what he did against the Grizzlies. That's what he did in multiple games down the stretch. But by no means was he the one winning you games. But he also wasn't losing you games. And that's that right. when you have that team, that's all you need to do. See, I mean, when, when Coach Schultz says... You know, Tucker Rovig, all he does is win. I think he's won every football game at, at home except for one. Sac State. And and he and he said that's what he says. Well that's 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 true, but it's not exactly the right way to say it. What he should say is I mean he shouldn't say it. He said exactly what he wanted to say, but the reality is he was on a team that won every game at home except for one during that stretch and happened to be the quarterback of that team. But the the point is this, like it's not really an elephant in the room. You have to walk a very fine line as a head coach. Mm-hmm. When you are trying to find the right guys, most more at the quarterback position than any other position. Sure. But at any position, but especially the quarterback, because it's got all the eyeballs on it. And you understand, like he says, we're going to have some very difficult decisions to make. We, I, I like all three of our guys. If you told me I couldn't have any two of those guys, I'd, I'd go, that's fine. We can win with this guy. Okay. That's all great, and that's all trying to both pump up the competition and also not throw anybody under the bus and also not do any of that. But the reality is that you got to be better. You have to be better at that spot. You just have to be, or else you're not going to get to where you want to go. It's not going to happen. And finding a way to be that, and by the way, to your point, that might not be on the kid. I mean, at some point, it ain't everybody else. 
You know what I mean? It's not just, oh, we haven't found one of 17 quarterbacks we've rolled through here that can actually get the job done. Some schools just have quarterback after quarterback after quarterback. Well, why, why do you think that is? You know? And so, and by the way, there's guys that got talent on the squad. I mean, like you said, Tucker Rovig, he improved dramatically over the course of the year last year. If he improved like that again in this entire year of foot of, of no football, played a spring zero-year season and showed up in the fall of 2021, who knows how far down the line he might be as one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I mean, it's it's not outside the realm of possibility that that could be the case. Yeah. But also, what, what anybody has seen so far is you are at best not losing because of your quarterback. That's not the position you want to be in. You certainly don't want to be in the position where you do lose because of your quarterback, but you also don't want to be in the position where you where the where where you're kind of like, yeah, you know, he he played an efficient game and uh, and got us in and out of what we needed to get in and out of. You know, you need a guy that's like, hey, we had to have a play, and he went and made the play. You know, yeah, no, and the irony of that is, guess who's the best guy on their 15. roster to do exactly what you just said? Yeah. Troy Anderson, and that's yep. why Troy Anderson. <laughs> I'm not even going to go down this road. Well, you are going, but down exactly the road. what you just said is why Troy Anderson's still their best court option at quarterback. But that's only because of this. Tell me what you think of this. Okay. I don't really know if you're ever going to be in a scenario at Montana State where you can say that guy, whether it's Tucker Rovick or Matt McKay or Casey Bobbin, won us the game. I just don't think the style that they play is ever even going to allow it to happen. I mean, because they just run the rock all the time. There is no way to stack the box. It's not like one of these games where, like, remember when Monmouth was here two years ago to play Montana? Was that last year? Whatever year when Pete Carrera, Guerrero was Monmouth's mm-hmm. running back, who, by the way, he just signed with a, a practice squad, I think even the Eagles maybe with Dante Olsen. Yeah. But um, Pete Carrera was the, the running back. Kenji Bahar was the quarterback. The Grizz stacked the box, and Dante Olsen smothered Picaro and made him irrelevant. He was the leading rusher in the FCS the previous year. He comes in here, he has like 30 yards in the fourth quarter, and Monmouth has to go to the air over and over and over again. You don't think teams stack the box against Montana State? Teams stack the box relentlessly against Montana State. But they have such a diverse offense that when you stack the box, bam, they're running that fly sweep or the jet sweep or whatever it is, and they're killing your edges, and then you have to adjust to that, and then all of a sudden you're getting gashed in the middle. All I'm saying is, I just really don't know how you're ever going to get to a scenario until you're in Fargo where that is ever even going to have to happen. Well, when it comes to you got to go win them the football game, maybe you're right, and that's fair. I mean, they don't want, they're not building a system where they want the quarterback to have to win you a football game or any football games. But that's the point. The full circle of this is it's all well and good when you're playing middle of the road or even really, you know, good teams in the Big Sky Conference or nationally yeah. or whatever. It isn't good. It's not good enough when you're playing the best. Yeah. When you're playing the truly elite four or five teams in the country, mm-hmm. you're losing those football games. And by the way, this ain't to say that Tucker Rovig was the problem. I mean, they got the doors blown off twice by North Dakota right. State. Okay, this ain't about just one guy, one position. But it is the most glaring part of this. Because if you don't have to respect or worry about, like if you can just single it up and go, yeah, well, we're going to win more than we lose on the outside, period. If you're a really good football team, if you got a Jabril Cox running around in the, you know, in, 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 in at the linebacker spot, you're going to win. Like that's just it. You have you have to have it. You have to have it. You know, you just that's it. You have to have it both. Uh, I don't know if you do though. Cause, cause you do. Think, think of Alabama. Tua Tagovailoa, absolutely an elite quarterback. Jalen Hurts, definitely elite quarterback. But until then, though, Alabama's mold was. 
broadly like Montana State's, where we're just going to be stacked at every position and just, you just need to get a guy that can manage the game and not lose it for you, right? No. No. Like, A.J. McCarron ain't a first overall draft pick. I get that. But you know what? He's been in the league for Th- 10 years. And now. three of his five wide receivers are. Yeah. You know, and, and Montana State's had really good wide receivers. The point is, okay, if you got – a string of four consecutive Heisman Trophy winning running backs and the best offensive line in football every single year, you you would be a moron not to just do that. I get that. But also, you can't just go nine in the box. Like you can't you can't go eight. You got it. You got to respect what they're going to do down the field and the skill that they have to deliver. And I think largely there was some hits like Montana State had some downfield stuff that they that they made plays in but it, there's a difference between making a play here and there and being you know and and, and having that be part of what you're capable of doing like capable of executing you know and, and you know, until it's there everybody else is going to have some sort of a, sort of an advantage the only they're going to have a, a a preparation advantage. They won't have an advantage when they sit there and go, "Oh, you got eight different guys that can run the ball anywhere, run over, around, and through us." Have a, a, an outstanding offensive line. Like all that stuff is always in the favor of Montana State, and that will normally be more than enough to win. I mean, they've built it's built a great team, great program. They got it all going. If you want to go all the way, you got to you got to be able to have a quarterback that can get it done. It's still we talk about how it's overrated, how the quarterback's overrated. It is by and large, like you, it's it's there's way too much emphasis put on it and all of that. That's all across football. It's true. It still is the the most important single position. It's not that it isn't the most important position. It is. It's the most important position. It's two telenuance. One more piece of sound for you, Jahari Martin, Ty Okada talked about playing now and about what it what they can take away from having a full scrimmage heading into a spring season. How do you feel like, you know, getting these practices, getting this scrimmage sets you guys up for a spring season? Um, did you feel like these reps will, will play a factor, you know, once you guys actually do get to play? Yeah, I think this definitely will be, play a factor. I, I mean, I, I think we're the only big uh, team that Big Scott was actually like doing something like this. So just having this, opportunity to continue to build this chemistry that we couldn't really build in the summer because we had like guys out quarantining and stuff and we couldn't really do a regular fall camp so i think this kind of brought us together even more and um will definitely give us a leg up in the spring it's our competition no doubt i agree with that it also it also gives us a little bit more look at our depth and going into the season we kind of we kind of saw play major playmakers arise so it gives us a little bit more answers into that so that's i think that camp helped with that so there you go. Here's the question, though. I mean, the, the question to these two, did the camp and, and the culmination into a game give you a leg up going into the fall? Now, it's kind of a set of question. I mean, they're going to say yes to that question. My question to you is the same question, Coulter. Does, does, does it? Does it actually matter that they had, had the fall season that they had and played a full scrimmage football game? Yes, it matters, particularly from a developmental standpoint. Both Montana programs we talk about all the time, but they run developmental style programs. And so, I mean, Ty Okada is a perfect example of that. Ty Okada is a guy who recruited himself to Montana State out of Minneapolis. He had a couple of his coaches and an opposing coach give Ty Gregory, former Montana State defensive coordinator, a tip saying, hey, this kid really wants to be recruited by you. Go check him out. He comes to Montana State as this tiny little skinny guy 
And now, you know, he had the, one of the breakout games I've ever seen against Incarnate Word in the first round of the playoffs in 2018 as a redshirt freshman. Montana State's defensive backs were just decimated. Jalen Cole had basically suffered a career-ending injury against Montana the week before, and they had no corners. And he steps in and plays nickel and has the game of his life, and he's been a team leader and a standout player ever since. And uh, But th- he proved himself by practicing hard. He Every single time they take the field, that Ty Okada went from irrelevant to now – a guy probably has the inside track of being a captain. Jahari Martin comes to Montana State as a linebacker. Now he's scoring the game-winning touchdown as a running back. You can't develop at the position unless you play the spot. It's absolutely essential for Montana State because I know there's varying opinions still on plug-and-play football and whether everybody really can play every position. And Choate's proven it. He's proven that it's more effective than anybody ever thought it could. you could ever imagine it could be at the Division One level. They're playing guys all over the place, all the time. And they've had so many guys that have risen up and and really thrived. Guys that have been first team all league at positions they weren't recruited to play. That's impressive, but you only can get there if you have the practices to develop yourself. You can't Travis Johnson can't just go play wide receiver in a game. Mm-hmm. He has to hone those skills. Mm-hmm. And so to me, from their program's perspective, it's absolutely critical. And I know that Coach Houck thinks the same thing at the University of Montana. You know Coach Houck has been dying. And by the way, as of the show, we just got an inquiry or just got uh, reached out from Montana State or excuse me, University of Montana Sports Information. They're going to have a little Bobby Houck press conference here uh, later on this week. So we'll share that Great. with you as well because they're doing some fall ball stuff. For those that missed it last week, I gave you an update. But the reason Montana is behind Montana State, they were all given the opportunity to start this whole fall ball thing. I think the third week of September and then you could get it in for, I think, three or four weeks. Uh, with NCAA limits on the amount of time you can spend with your team and stuff like that. The Cats did it. And they were able to avoid any sort of the COVID tracing or COVID contacts. Whereas Montana, they had a little bit of a outbreak at the athletic department. So they had some guys that had to be quarantined. So they couldn't start yeah. for a little later. But now they're rolling. So we'll have an update for the Grizz too. But I know Coach Alec thinks the same thing. You need the practices to develop the guys. I totally agree. They're just devil's advocate because we're still going to have several months of now nothing. And so right. where you know what is the thing? But... It's the development though, is the it's development. Ba- it's bankrupts and it's also part of your identity. Like yeah. I said a story on the Grizz roster, scoutsportsft.com. We'll break it down a little bit more either tomorrow or Wednesday on the show. But a kid from Missoula, Levi Janicaro, he's well, was a quarterback in high school, but like a Wildcat style quarterback. Then he played this fullback position, but it's very clear now, at least for right now, with the personnel they have on their roster, there's just not going to be rolling a lot of fullbacks out there. They got all these receivers. You got to play them. They're going to be running away more of a spread style thing. But because of that, they switched Levi Janicaro to linebacker. Well, every practice he is at linebacker, he gets to redefine himself as a linebacker, yeah. become comfortable with the position, become comfortable with the guys become confident in being in that room and learning from that coach. And yeah. that's why it's essential because you do have, especially in Montana, so many guys that are moving around different positions. To tell new 1029 ESPN radio. Good stuff. Coulter that was fun. We'll keep it rolling. I'm about to have a ton of fun. I don't know if Coulter will Seahawks Vikings. How'd that go to tells a little richer than he was on Friday. Next. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. 
It's gone final in game two of the ALCS. The Tampa Bay Rays, a 4-2 winner. They are now up two games to none over the Houston Astros as this game, this series, travels back to Houston, which is to say stays in San Diego, but they switch lockers, I think is the thing, right? New dugouts and obviously the top and the bottom of the order. Uh, So uh, there you go, the Rays, winners this afternoon. As soon as we're done here, 6 o'clock, top of the hour, we'll take it to Arlington, Texas, for game one of the NLCS between the Atlanta Braves and Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Coulter, Sunday was a uh, a heck of a day in the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs lose to the Las Vegas Raiders. First loss since, I think, November of last year in terms of, like, calendar uh, year. Yeah, and, and their first home loss. I think it's their first regular season home loss with Patrick Mahomes as their starting quarterback. Is that right? I think wow. that's right impressive uh it also is such a such a great example of how having an aggressive not meek coach makes all the difference in the world in the nfl the raiders are john gruden they have good talent but john gruden is john gruden is the absolute catalyst of the raiders and their surprising start i i tend to agree with you i don't know that his uh I don't know that the demeanor is the thing. It, it certainly is for Gruden. I don't know that other coaches who are, uh, I don't know, when I watch less, NFL, less chucky when I can't watch, be good. When I watch NFL games, there's about half a dozen coaches that have a definitive style and or operate with this similar identity or they're cutthroat. They're going for it. Then there's like 20 guys that are meek at best and coaching to not lose their jobs at worst. And then there's five more coaches that are just utterly holding on for dear life, including one that got fired yesterday. Let me ask you this. Okay. Yeah. Your boy, Mike Zimmer. Yeah, my boy. He's your boy because he's coaching your team. If he was the defensive coordinator, I'd be a lot more happy. I'll tell you that. But you talked about there's a bunch of guys who are out there and they're just going to go for it and they're going to go win the game. Well, there he is, fourth and one. Up five, Russell yep. Wilson on the other end of that thing can kick a field goal to go up eight. Yep. Or you can go for it, and that's it, and that's all. And he lines up his team, and he runs the football, and they don't get it. Now, this is yep. not this is not me being cheeky or anything else. I love it. I love the play call. Not I, I don't know if I love the play call specifically. I love the decision to go. I know what's on the other end of this thing. Russell Wilson going the distance, making eight points, and we're in overtime. Like I, I. I or, or maybe it's not even that. I mean, maybe that's coaching from a position of, of, of lack of confidence. Maybe it's a coaching from a position. This is where we put, this is where we get it done. This is where we bring this game to a close right here and right now. And when it didn't happen, you still have your chances, right? A couple of fourth down conversions, including, hello, the touchdown to DK Metcalf. So it's not as if the game was over if you don't make it. I love the decision to go for it. It didn't work out. That said, they did lose. So where are you at? Well, I thought that it was the right decision broadly, but because you're one and three and you're on the road, and you essentially are, the seat keeps getting hotter for Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. That said, I would have I would have thought it was a hundred percent inarguable great decision if Dalvin Cook wasn't standing on the sideline mm-hmm. and if Russell Wilson wasn't the opposing quarterback. See, I think I think. I think you, it's the yeah, right you, decision because Russell Wilson's the opposing you, quarterback. You, you kicked the field goal because you 
you assume Russ is going to lead the drive. Yes. So then you have to give yourself a cushion so you can't lose no, the no, game no, no, in no. that moment. You assume Russ is going to lead the drive, and so you go, he doesn't get the football. We end it now. Well, uh, a little off tackle with Alexander Mats- Madison is definitely not the play you should run. You know, we can critique that play. And, and again, and, if you and got Dalvin Cook, fine, but no. But then, then it's like, do you want to put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands? No, you don't. But here's the thing about the Vikings: I don't necessarily think Zimmer's that good. I don't think he's that bad. I don't think he's that good. I think he's exactly what he is, which is an above-average, you know, first round of the playoffs every once in a while type coach. The Vikings' issues and their erosion from where they were just a few short years ago is 100% on the front office. They've invested in the wrong guys. Mm -hmm. They had a whole bunch of dogs. I don't know what it was, if they just didn't think they were marketable in Minnesota or if they were leery of the instability of them off the field or what, but they decided to go all in on all of the dudes that they shouldn't have gone all in on. To me, it's not that hard to see when you're watching it. Yeah, Stephon Diggs is the guy you should have kept. It's just the dude you should have well, kept. I mean, I, I, Thielen had a couple of touchdowns. Well, Thielen's in the good, game, man. Right? Thielen's good, but if you're talking about the, 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 if you if you got if Stephon Diggs does not get along with those guys, you got to figure out what's the problem with the other guys. Because Stephon Diggs is a prima donna, but he's also one of the most talented receivers in the league. To me. The whole thing is Stephon Diggs knew. Adam Thielen is towing the company line, still trying to buy the narrative that Kirk Cousins is good. Stephon Diggs knew Kirk Cousins sucks. That's why he was causing problems. <laughs> but you keep Everson Griffin. You know what I mean? Like, you keep these dudes, and they and they did it. And um, the, the position that they're in it is not surprising to me. It's what happens. This is an amazing statistic. Because of the guaranteed contract that Kirk Cousins got, $62 million of Dead cap money is being spent right now on this one and four team because of one guy, Kirk Cousins. That is an atrocity. You should be fired on the spot if you're the GM of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, here's I have two thoughts on this game. One is a football thought, and and one is more of an ethereal thought. The football thought is this. What I feel like I saw was the absolute vulnerability of the Seattle Seahawks on full display. Uh, They were able to make a couple of stops, but by and large were not able to, uh, you know, keep up defensively in a lot of ways. And I'm surprised, actually, to some extent, even though they did create a couple of turnovers, that Minnesota didn't score more points than they did in this game. And I also felt like I saw some of the offensive vulnerability in insofar as Seattle is doing something they have not done before. They're they're trying to throw the football over the place and, you know, they're still using Chris Carson and that, but they're they're trying to be this offensive explosion team. They have the personnel, certainly the quarterback to do it. Am I wrong? They scored zero points in the first half of this football game. Mm-hmm. Goose or maybe it was seven. No, it was, no, it was, it was, zero. It was, it was zero. 13, zero. 13, zero. Um, the Vikings also had the ball for like 19 and a half minutes. They did. They, they doubled two them mi- up. Two, minute, two different nine-minute possessions. Um, and then Dalvin Cook got hurt, which is why the Vikings lost. Um, I guess I'm just saying Seattle's going to score some points because they have the personnel, but also other coaches are going to catch up on, on in terms of how they need to defend this team. And if they can slow down the Seahawks' offense – I'm not sure the Seahawks defense is going to be able to do that. Now, I understand Jamal Adams still out of this game. He's their best player. He's their best defensive player. So, you know, there's that. But I do think you see some of the vulnerability. I thought you saw some of the capability. I mean, they're 1-4, and four, the Minnesota Vikings are. For what it's worth, they've lost two games by a point. One point. 
and you know you got to win those games if you're going to be good but this is still for what it's worth the second best team in the nfc north the other thing though that i think and this is to me more impactful i don't know if anybody else will be able to appreciate or buy this i don't expect you to that's all right there is a mystique and a magic about Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks since the two of them and John Schneider to some extent have been there. Whether it's the culture of what they create, whether it's the 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 craziness of Russell Wilson that I know that drives you insane that you hate about all the sound bites and the what he you know the way he talks and this that and the other. And He's just so lame. Okay. So that's fine you can say that. I'm not even going to say that you're wrong. What I am saying is this. The way in which the belief is true all the way to the floor in Seattle, that they are going to win every game that they're in, even sometimes when they don't, and that they're going to find a way to pull it out of the fire, I have seen it time and time again. And some teams have the ability and the belief and the people to do it, and some teams don't. And there's not it's not quantifiable. It's not a statistical thing. It is just that that exists and when it is fourth and goal i sat there and went this is where the seattle seahawks find a way to come through and the minnesota vikings do not and that is not a football thing it's not because their players are better or worse or whatever it's not about the coaches it is just quarterbacks better it's their quarterbacks they're i mean the vikings quarterback not even on the field and you just go somehow the seattle seahawks find a way to get this thing done and that one guy is generated over the course of time. It's, but it isn't. It isn't because of one guy. But He's they the, were bad for the, per, the 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 annals of their entire franchise ever until they got one dude. He's the catalyst of it. But this is a team wide deal where they're just all in. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it time and time and time again, and uh, it defies explanation and to some extent defies logic and if you buy into it it makes you sound like a loony bin which i certainly probably do at the moment and that's okay what i'm saying is if you follow the seattle seahawks and you watch this team game in game out year in year out there is magic that is going on about this football team that is inexplicable and it doesn't mean that they win every game obviously they blew it on the goal line in the super bowl for everybody to see so this is not to say that you know that it i'm not i'm not believing in ghosts here but what i am saying is that there's a a mystique and an aura that is real that is significant that they have a belief that on fourth and goal they're going to make the play and win the game and other teams hope that they're going to make the play and win the game you know and that is a real difference that's a real point of separation and that's why you see it far more often than not with seattle and not really with other teams you're not going to believe what i'm going to respond with okay why doesn't Russell Wilson, why is there not already a narrative about him as one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live? I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, only I think it's not even like a question. Years in that he, I think he's not he even is. a question. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever yeah. live. We started just drooling he over. He hasn't even gotten an MVP vote. We're, we started drooling over Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. Yeah. The moment he started playing, nobody's ever played the quarterback position like this. Yeah. You could say the exact same words I just said about Russell Wilson. Yeah. No one has ever played the quarterback position like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I hate Russell Wilson. <laughs> to me, there's no question he is absolutely one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live. Yeah. In terms of truly playing the position in an unorthodox, unique fashion. And if you really do say that quarterback play is about two things, getting the ball in the end zone and winning – 
He's better than his peers. Who's done it more? Better than all of his peers, except for a couple guys. Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. And I I do think when it's said and done, that 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 will be a real narrative that is consistently. I know. I just don't understand why it's not right now because it already exists for Patrick Mahomes. It already exists. It existed from Aaron Rodgers from the very first time he started taking snaps. Why not Russell Wilson? He doesn't have the flair. He does have the flair, though. He's got the football flair, but he doesn't have... I mean, he's... People... Here's what people say. If Patrick Mahomes is dating Sierra, they go, well, of course. When Russell Wilson is married to Sierra, they go, what's she doing? It's because he's so lame. <laughs> but he isn't lame. He's one of the greatest of all time. And you're right. You it's can be tell both. Nuanas, 1290 ESPN Radio. More NFL football after this. Coulter, obviously, if people are traveling, you got to have them stay somewhere else, not with you. That's true even when COVID isn't going on, and especially now. So you send them out to the wind gate. We know that. That's obvious. What you might not know is about all the meeting space they have out there, convention space, and even personal office space because God knows I can't stand being with you any much longer. I'm going out there. I'm going to lock up my own personal office at the wind gate. You can do the same thing. If you need a business space, whether it's for yourself personally or or you're just tired of doing Zoom meetings, you just want to see other humans, but you want to be socially distanced, the Wingate has great business meeting rooms. You can space out. They have all the hookups and technology you're going to need for any sort of meeting or presentation. Or if you're like Ryan, you just want to have a place where you can work in peace and quiet, the Wingate Inn, also a great option for those that live and work around Western Montana and the city of Missoula. If you have anybody coming through town or you want to get your kids out of the house, Wingate also has awesome rooms, great business rates. The pool is back open. They've done a great job of making sure that's going to be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not. Welcome back to Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana, how deep across the great state. Man, it's good to be with you. Friends in Bozeman, Billings, Glasgow, Sydney. What's up? The Flathead? Love it. Happy to be with all of you. If you uh, miss anything in the show, listen on the podcast. The Two Telling Nuanas podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's available all the time. And it is uh, available thanks to Blackfoot Communications. What are the best part of the NFL weekend? The best moment? I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. What am I going to say? Alex Smith. It has to do with Alex Smith, but it was not actually Alex Smith getting back in the game. Was it the family? Alex Smith, the best part of yesterday was Alex Smith makes an appearance for the first time in 750-plus days. The dude had no leg. His leg was gone. Yeah. It eroded to nothing, and they rebuilt it, and like the, the, the E60 on it was unbelievable. He gets thrown into the game. I don't think he's even playing for the Redskins with any intention of being in the game. He's the third-string quarterback. All of a sudden, Dwayne Haskins is completely out. They're going to trade him. They're not even practicing him. He's not even taking reps at practice in Washington. Kyle Allen scores a rush touchdown and gets hurt. Now it's an Alex Smith's in. You're going to go against the Los Angeles Rams. They got the best defensive player in the entire NFL. Yeah. The best moment of this, though, was when Aaron, third snap of Alex Smith being back, Aaron Donald swims, rips, gets free, kill shot Alex Smith. What does he do? He goes as high as he possibly can. He tackles him around the head Mm -hmm. and like squishes him like a big brother would Mm. instead of just lighting him up or roll tackling him. To be that good, to have that much awareness to do that, 
unbelievable, man. Yeah. Eric yeah. could have ended Alex Smith's like life right there. He's not going to die, but he could have absolutely ruined the guy's life. Yeah. If he just crushes him and his leg breaks again. Yeah. And instead he takes him down. It's unbelievable, man. It's yeah. so classy by Aaron Donald. But who can even do that? Who could even decide to sack a How you're going to get there? A certain yeah. way to yeah. like not hurt him. Yeah. To think of that in the moment. I mean, yeah. my God. Well, uh, and it was it was a a. It was a, an unbelievable moment, and you just can't help but sit here and, and be amazed. And I think, I mean, you, it's what he wanted, so completely happy, just thrilled for Alex Smith. And also to have it set off in the terrible irony of what happened to Dak Prescott. Man. It's just unbelievable that on the same day, at the same time, I mean, he's coming into the game, and then and then that awful injury now... I, I, I hope and I pray that, that Dak's injury is not at the severity level that, that Alex Smith was because Alex Smith is is at a, is in, an, in kind of another realm. But obviously, you know, a compound fracture type of surgery, you know, type of deal. And you saw all the emotion and what Dak has gone through over these recent months to have it all sort of kind of culminate in that moment was just it's just just a, a moment of just humanity where you just go, oh my goodness! And so we certainly wish Dak Prescott just absolutely the best. And uh, and and through this time, you know, I I'd like to think that he'll be surrounded by people that are there and 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 rooting for and working for the best for him. You know, and I I, I anticipate that that will be the case, and I hope that it is. This is obviously not what this is about, but. A part of me when that happened and he was Dak was just balling. Yes, was that I thought, man, he just cost himself so much money. Mm. That other part of me thought, though, he actually might get the long term contract that he wants because it would be really heartless for the Cowboys to be like, hey, man, didn't see enough of you, got hurt, we got to cut you. Yeah, and and Stephen Jones did say today that. Dak Prescott is the future of this team. Now, obviously, you're going to say something like that the day after something like that happens. Um, but, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's going to be a long road, a long road. I mean, that's just what it is. And part of that is the nature of the game. And 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 it is. But uh, uh, a, a, a crazy, bizarre relationship of circumstances were on display on Sunday afternoon in that respect with Dak and with Alex Smith. We're up against it. Quick hitters. Yes. We'll recap this a little bit more later okay. on this week as well. But uh, first of all, the Panthers won again. Yes. And the Falcons fired Dan Quinn. Got to. Got to. That. That's, I mean, at that point, even if you're coming back, what, uh, you know. They're, the, they're on fire for the first time in franchise history. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is what it is. You, got, you have an entire offense where every single guy has a first-round draft pick. It's possible to be liked, to have the backing of your team. It's not like this is a Jets situation where everybody's turning your Bill O'Brien. You can you can be a guy who's got great ideas, a great plan, whatever, and it just it's just not working. It, you, you just got to go. Yeah. Rapid fire. Yes. Good or not good still. Yes. The Bears. Not good. Four and one, still not good. Not good. I totally agree. The Panth- <laughs> the Panthers. Um, better than you thought. Yeah, way better than I thought. Three and two. Yeah. The Raiders. Be- they're they're better than I thought. The Raiders are good. Yeah, they're good. If the young receivers play like they did yesterday, they're good because they have I'm, elite I'm not going to sit here and start. I mean, 
nobody thinks they're actually better than Kansas City, but I'm not no. even going to react in a way where, wow, they're actually in the competition but, here. They're not, but, but, here's, but the they're th- good. here's the thing, though. You were going crazy about the Denver Broncos young skill players. Yeah. The Raiders, if everybody is clicking, have way better yeah. young skill players Dude. because Josh Jacobs is better at any running back on the Broncos roster, and Henry Ruggs could be as good as his former teammate Jerry Judy, and Darren Waller is better than any tight end the Broncos got, too. Yeah, the Raiders are good. Browns. Super Bowl contenders. Let's go. One more. Dolphins. Hey, I mean, I'm sorry to say this. This is a lot more about San Francisco than it is about Miami. But they're a lot better than you thought. No, no. They're they're good. I'm on the Dolphins, man. You know why? Because I'm the quarterback of the Dolphins. That's why. Boys and girls, enjoy the NLCS. Braves Dodgers right now, ESPN Radio. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 